0: Good evening. Good evening, welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel, the first Wednesday Evening Chapel of 2007. Can you believe it? Sure, I can too. As for me and my house. Okay now, in light of our chapel service last night. Do we need to change that or are we okay with it? Okay, so as for me and my house, we will obey the Lord. Are we good? Okay, those of you who weren't here last night, the chapel service will be online Monday. (laughs) And you can find out what we're talking about. So as for me and my house, we will obey the Lord. We have a guest speaker with us this evening, his name is Dr. Bob Huffaker, really he's known known as Pastor Bob. Uh, He has pastored churches in Texas and the last church before this phase of his ministry, he pastored the church in Grove City, Ohio, one of those small struggling church plant kind of things that that he'll tell you about later.
1: How y'all doing? All right i 'm so glad you all came out tonight. Is this mandatory, or you just did it on your own? I tell you i 'm telling you you're a lot more spiritual than I was. I had to go and I was in chapel so <laughs> oh, it is so good to be here for those of you that uh, uh, don 't know anything about me that 's probably a good thing and uh, <laughs> but it is a real honor and a privilege for me to get to come and to share with you in this uh, chapel service here tonight. I've actually moved here uh, about a year and a half ago and uh, have uh, been fairly busy speaking out at conferences and so forth, but I did an interim uh, pastor down Pueblo first for about six months back starting last April. And so I'm trying to get acquainted with my pastor, Pastor Gene Grade over here, and I shocked him. I've been there about three Sundays in a row now, and so he even asked me to join the church now that I've attended three Sundays. So, uh, you know, how you're supposed to do that? But uh, I got to speak to the... uh, uh, you know, to the staff this morning—that you know—that that scared me to death. You know, I could stand and speak before 3,000; didn't bother me. But man, when you put me before a bunch of pa- uh, a bunch of uh, uh, professors, teachers, and all, just scares the daylight. I could just sure they were going to be grading me, and I was <laughs> I wasn't sure I was going to pass. But uh, nevertheless, good to be here. I, I, uh, you know, I—I uh, I grew up in a, in a small rural town uh, in West Texas called Grassland, Texas. Anybody ever heard of that? Hey, they've got one or two to do that. Yeah, you know, it's such a tiny little town. had entering and leaving on the same sign, you know, just... <laughs> it actually, it was not really a town much at all. It was mostly a couple of cotton gins, and, uh, and that was about it. And uh, it was in a, a, a small rural church. Uh, it was one of those kind of churches, uh, maybe you've been in, visited, uh, you know, pretty informal... Uh, Bert, come on up and lead us in singing tonight. Uh, Well, okay. And on the way up, he's thumbing through the book. And uh, he's uh, he's saying, uh, well, anybody got a song they want to sing today? You ever been in church like that? And that's that went on pretty much every Sunday. Gets up there, okay. Now to come on up and play for us. Oh no, let Bernice do that. I played last Sunday, and she's better not. No, come on, you know. So this goes on. But that was what I understood as church, you know. <laughs> An amazing thing is, quite a few folk got saved uh, in that church. Some uh, were missionaries. Had four, three or four uh, missionaries came out of it. Uh, actually. Uh, Dr. Hardy Powers, uh, that was his uh, initiation to the Church of the Nazarene, was right there in Grassland, Texas, one of our general superintendents. Uh, J.K. Works granddad, attended that church, and, and uh, so, so good things. So the Bible says, despise not little things, so uh, uh, good things can come out of that, but I, but I grew up in that kind of an atmosphere. And uh, felt called to preach when I was about 18 years of age. Actually, had been out of high school a year, and felt God's call in my life. And uh, a lot of people were surprised, you know, that uh, uh, God would call me. And some would say, "Well, I thought maybe your brother, but never you you'd do that." But, and I think when I got to college, some of them were a bit surprised too. But uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, God helped us and uh... took our first church in clarendon texas uh... about sixty miles east of where uh... your president and uh, his wife pastored there in amarillo texas and and i had three little ladies in their eighties that was my congregation that's what i started with so there wasn't but one way to go you know and i had to work quick you know if i was going to build on that nucleus didn't have much of a nursery department and and so uh, <laughs> nevertheless that was that was my meager beginnings and and God allowed me to pastor some great churches. And the last church I pastored was of course in Grove City, Ohio, uh, there in Columbus, in the Columbus, Ohio area. And God uh, did some really miraculous things. Uh, Just before I I left, I was, you know, kind of checking up and over twenty-two hundred people had joined the church by profession of faith uh, while I was there. And I, I remember I was talking to my wife, we were laying there and I, I, in bed and just talking and reminiscing, we, we were getting ready to retire. And I said, honey, in, in your wildest dreams, did you ever dream that, that I would uh, get to pastor a church like uh, Grove City? And she looked at me and she said, Bob, you're not even in my wildest dreams, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she had a way of keeping me humble, you know. <laughs> So so ah uh, so so I decided we just go ahead and retire and move to Colorado Springs and uh, had a couple of daughters that live here and and uh it's not a bad place to live and and we're glad that we did uh Uh, Of course, the first year is really nice. It only snowed a half an inch or so, (laughs) but this year it caught up on all of it, didn't it? And so we've got our share, but but that's great. You know, I I just wanted to talk to you about uh, being a dreamer and dreaming big things for God. And what are you going to do when Satan tries to kill your dream? Uh, How many of you know Satan is a dream killer? He's a dream stealer. And if the truth is known, some of you have already had some, some real dreams destroyed uh, by the master deceiver. And uh, I don't know if you uh, know anything at all about uh, Mike Tyson. He was not a general superintendent nor a district superintendent, <laughs> but he was a dreamer you know Mike Tyson uh, when he was sixteen years of age uh, had a dream that one day he would be the uh, world heavyweight boxer must have been a pretty good sized kid but that was his dream and he began to work toward that and uh, for 37 fights after he got into the pros and and working his ways up he, he won every fight but if you've read the story at all and kept up the story, it's quite a a sad thing because the great dreamer of dreaming of uh, fortune and fame and he did make a fortune, he made over four hundred million dollars and out of that four hundred million dollars after two years ago actually, about two or three years ago uh, he declared bankruptcy. How does anybody spend 400 million dollars? Well, you see, he was a self-destructive uh, person. He, he involved himself in all kinds of sinful living and uh, visiting the prostitute houses and, and buying mansions and, and just uh, drugs and you name it, he did it. And uh, there was an article about him that said, uh, who knows where he will go. He even wrote of himself, he said, I'm a pretty pathetic case. I've wasted my life. I've destroyed the dream that I once had. You know, we may never get to that place to where we would ever do anything like that but there is an outside force that wants to destroy the dreams that you have I would say most if not all of you that are here today you're here this is a part of the dream of helping you get to the dream to where someday you will be effective uh, or involved in full-time ministry in some way or another as a as a, an evangelist, or as a missionary, or an educator, or, or a pastor, but somewhere in your mind, you you have a dream. I remember in my early ministry, I, I I I wasn't a very big dreamer because of my background. I I really didn't know how to dream very big. In fact, to me, it was big. I guess it's all relative. Uh, I I, I had a dream when I first started pastoring and when you got three little ladies in your 80s. I I was dreaming of one day, one day pastoring a church of a hundred people that would pay me a hundred bucks a week. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was really excited about that. I believed that one day God was going to help me to get there. And, and uh, I was telling my church board about that. And they said, well, pastor, if you want us to pay you, when I was in Grove City just before I left, if you want us to pay you a hundred bucks a week, we'll do that. So I said, okay, no, just go ahead and give me the salary you're giving me. I, that'd be all right. Well, uh, you know, the Bible uh, just has a lot of dreamers. And, it, and one of my very favorite Bible characters is, is the dreamer. And uh, you probably already know who I'm talking about. Is the one that is uh, recorded over in Genesis in chapter uh, 37. Uh, it's uh, the rec- record of the dreamer. in in the 37th chapter and I'm not going to read all of it because you've heard this story and read this story since uh, you were little children or if you went to Sunday school and it was Joseph and the Bible says in in chapter 37 and verse 5 that Joseph had a dream and you know the story the first dream that he had was about uh, the sheaves of grain And uh, all of the sheaves uh, that uh, his brothers had were going to bow down to it. And, of course, uh, I don't know how smart he was. He told his brothers about it, and it made him pretty jealous, and they didn't care about that. And then on down a little further, it talks about, in in verse 9, the last part of that, it tells about another dream that he had. And this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me and uh, the bible says uh, when he when they heard that they became very angry at him and very jealous of him and uh then skipping on down to the 16th verse uh his father of course had sent him out to find his brothers they were out grazing their sheep and uh and so he, he came across uh someone and and they said to him, and he said, can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? And he goes on to tell them about where he had heard that they were over Dotham and so forth. And then this, I love this verse. I've underlined it. I've highlighted it. And uh, here, while they they were out in the desert, they look up and they see him coming. And they recognize him, no doubt, because of his coat of many colors. And I don't know what he'd be doing out in the desert (laughs) wearing a coat like that, you know, unless (laughs) he was really proud of it. Uh, But nevertheless, here he was, and they plotted to kill him. And here's, here's what I've underlined. It said, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. Now, that's not a bad accusation, is it? And I wish more people could have said that about me, but I I didn't have that big a dream. But as I pastored and as the Lord helped me, God helped me to begin to increase my dream of how I could be more effective in reaching more people for him. You see, lost people really do matter, don't they? And somehow or another, sometimes we get so busy doing church, we forget about that. And if you're going to be effective as a minister of the gospel, it always has to be paramount in your, in your heart, in your passion, in your life, that lost people really matter and you have to begin to dream how God can use you to effectively bring people into the kingdom of God. And I believe that God, more than anything else, wants to raise up a generation of people that will be dreamers. See, it's not about mirror, mirror on the wall, who's got the biggest church of all? You know, that's in the flesh. But it's about those people that don't know Jesus Christ. And the way that we're going to reach them is to be a dreamer, to dream of ways, to dream how God could use us to be effective in the ministry as you go out into the world. Now you can dream the dreams, but it's a dangerous thing sometimes to da- dream dreams. Well, we know the story there. Here they were, they were ready to kill him. They're, his brother Reuben said, no, let's don't kill him. Let's take him, throw him in a cistern, dry cistern. So they did that. And while he was gone, well, here come a caravan of... Uh, uh, people along the, 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 the Ishmaelites, and, and they said, hey, let's, let's sell him. Maybe we can get some money. So they sold him into slavery. Here's the dreamer, and now he's being sold as a slave. And then uh, they sold him for 20 shekels, and uh, then the, they took the robe. You know the story. They killed a goat, put it in blood, took it back to the, his father, and, and it was brokenhearted and all of that and then they in turn sold Joseph into Egypt. The dreamer now is having some setbacks. Let me tell you, let me tell you right now. You know we can, we can have uh, some tremendous ambitions and goals and dreams uh, of doing things for God and, and that's good, but if you begin to dream you can be sure that Satan himself is going to throw roadblocks. He's going to do whatever he can to kill the dream that God has given to you to go out and to, to reach lost people. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, Satan hates high and holy dreams. Let's just say that. Satan hates high and holy dreams. You see, high and holy dreams are not easily achieved. They're seldom ever achieved without great sacrifice and great commitment. Uh, Here's another fact that I want to throw out to you. The devil will always be around to hinder, to discourage, to block, to oppose, and to destroy the dreams that God has given to you. If you were to read on through the Bible here, you would, you would see on many different occasions of those that were following after God, whose heart was after God. And when they started out somewhere along the way, whatever it was, Satan was there to throw a roadblock to stop the dream that uh, God had given them. That's his part of his job. But another one of my very favorite characters is found over in the book of Acts. If you want to turn over just uh, in your Bible to that. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's the Apostle Paul. And uh, he, was, he was quite a dreamer. Uh, here in this 26th chapter of, of the book of Acts, uh, Paul now is uh, giving his testimony. And he said, uh, talking about why he was doing what he was doing and trying to fulfill a dream. He said, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. And about noon, O king, he said, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven. It was brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goat. He said, it's hard to do that. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuted. The Lord replied, now get up. Get up and stand on your own feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to open... Now here it is. What a dream. Now he wasn't dreaming of just building a big church uh, somewhere. He said, now here's what God said, I am sending you to open the eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I believe that's what God is calling each and every one of us to do, and you can't have a higher, higher dream than that. And then he goes on to give full testimony to the king, he said, so then, O king Agrippa, I was not disobedient, in one translation, to this heavenly vision, or to this dream. I was not disobedient. Now, here he is standing before King, giving testimony of the dream that God had given to him, and that's why it was. Well, after he gave that testimony and the king heard it, then Paul didn't have any more problems. Everything was smooth sailing all the way, right? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> that was very wrong. That was not it at all. If we would go on over to uh, Corinthians, to the book of Corinthians, and uh, we we turn to the eleventh chapter in verse twenty-three, and he again here he is testifying, and he's sharing with the Corinthians. He said, "You know what?" He said, are are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? I am more. I I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again and five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus 1. That's 39. Uh, for those that hadn't math. Three times I was beaten with rods and once I was stoned and three times I was shipwrecked and I you think you got problems, huh? <laughs> three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned three times I was shipped I spent a night and a day in open sea I've been constantly on the move I've been in danger from rivers and danger from bandits and dangers from my own countrymen in dangers from the Gentiles and dangers in the city and dangers in the country in danger at sea and in danger from false brothers He sounded like he was the crocodile man, didn't he? Danger, danger, everywhere. Here he was. I have labored. I have toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold. I have been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Here is a man of God totally given his heart and his life over and Satan has come at him at every side. Satan is doing everything that he can to destroy the work of God in this man of God that had a dream. So let me tell you right now, if you dare to be a big dreamer, if you dare to dream big dreams for God, if you dare to carry out the dreams that God has given to you, there may be some tribulations ahead of you. There just could be some that are out there. And you see, Satan wants to destroy anything good at all in your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your homes. He wants to destroy your finances. He wants to do anything that he possibly can to sidetrack you and to give up on the dream that God has given to you. What helped Paul to get through all of this? It was his vision. It was his dream. He couldn't let it go. There it was. See, Satan will always, he'll always be there to tempt you to give up on your dreams. He'll always be there to throw roadblocks in front of you. He'll put doubt and fears in your mind. Sometimes he'll put complacency in your life to give up on the dream. Secondly, high and holy dreams will not be accomplished by just enthusiasm and high energy and programs and goals and education. They can't be accomplished by that alone. Many times they'll come through brokenness. And those that have been pastors and those that have served for uh, any years of, of, of ministry at all will know that many times real brokenness will come into your life and you'll even wonder where is where's God? Uh, I, I, I remember the first time that I had to go to assembly and uh, give a report that all my budgets wasn't paid uh, you know I could go and not report winning anybody to the Lord and that didn't bother me like too much I don't guess but boy you didn't dare go and not pay your budgets and, and we were about 20,000 short and and uh, you know and I I was really downcast because I I didn't fulfill what I thought was my obligation and part of it was because of, of what we had tried to do in building a large Uh, sanctuary. There were times when we, there were times when, when, when we, it it seemed totally impossible. A handful of people, uh, a a group of people that had raised $69,000. Brother Brother Graves, I I, I don't know if I'd do this again, you know. And, and, And we decided we'd build a million dollar building. Uh, This little handful of people, and we started out, and we got within about 80,000 of completing, and we couldn't complete it. We ran out of money, and it was in the early 80s, and that's when the interest went up to nearly 20%, and to go back and refinance and to get the money, it was almost going to double the payments on our buildings. And I remember we spent some all night prayer meetings. I'll never forget the time the devil began to come at me and say, Oh, yeah, I look at you. You can build the big buildings, but you can't pay for them. You're going to be the laughing stock of all the denomination. Well, not very many in the denomination even knew me. <laughs> I was in Hereford, Texas, and who'd ever heard of that cow town? And, and here I was. But I, I'll never forget the time, and it's just so unlike me. I never forget, I went home one Sunday, and it was just like Satan was right in my face that I was going to be a total failure. i would going to lose the church, and one day they'd be stacking bales of hay in that building for the cattle around there, and it would never be a church. And, and I went home, and I crawled in bed with my suit on and my shoes on. Why I did it? I don't know. And I covered my head, except there was such fear that had come over me. You know what it was? It was Satan trying to destroy the dream that we had. And I'll never forget, a layman saw fear in my life. He didn't see me there in that bed like that. He thought I was crazy. But, but uh, he saw that and he came up to me and he said, Pastor, I'll tell you what. He said, I don't have a whole lot of money, but I have my house paid for And Joan and I will sell that house and we'll give it to the church and and we'll get this done. And he said, I'm going to go with you to the wall, pastor. You can never know what that did for me. You see, God had someone there to lift my spirit when Satan's attack was so great upon me. Think about it. Here, here is, here is Joseph, the great dreamer, and he had no idea that God had a plan for him. And part of that plan was that he would be sold into slavery. He would have to go through some persecution. He would have to spend another 13 years in prison because of, of a lie. From, from, from a woman, not an ounce of truth, and yet here he was, and he never turned his back on God, and he never gave up, but God had a plan for his life. Now, I hope and pray that they never throw you in prison because some woman lies on you, man. I hope that you never, ever have to do that. But I tell you, sometimes it's an encouragement to us when we get down and when Satan comes against us to read stories like this, that God hasn't forsaken us. And we can't afford to give up on the dream and quit. We gotta keep on dreaming. If it's God's dream for you in your life, you keep on dreaming. That's the beginning of great things in your life. You see, there were many times as I pastored when I couldn't dream big enough. But you know what happened? God brought laymen around me that could dream bigger than I could dream. I, I, I'm telling you, there were times when, when I, I was just kind of sitting back and I'm saying these guys were talking about when we were going to build our new building. I said, guys, we can't afford to do that. We're paying $37,000 a month on a mortgage payment if we build it. If we build what you're talking about, it'll jump our payments to $70,000 a month. That's ludicrous. We can't do it. Some guy reaches in his pocket and he throws his keys out there and says, the Lord can have my, my car. And another, we were the, we were the staff uh, and, and wives meeting. And another one said, well, I got a farm down here in southern Ohio and, and he can have that. And another one said, well, my wife's not working. She said she would go to work and she would give her entire salary. And on and on. And here I'm standing just saying, we can't do it. These guys were dreaming bigger than I were dreaming. It was like me trying to, to get on the plane. It's going down the tarmac, you know, and I'm running as hard as I can. So, wait for me. I'm your leader. <laughs> so, they were dreaming bigger than I. You see, when God has a dream for you, you may be just a part of it. And it may take someone around you that can help you dream the dreams. And sometimes my staff have been bigger dreamers than I have been. And they've coached me on. You see, I'm from Grassland, Texas. And I think in small things sometimes. But here they were. You see, Paul said, when I'm strong, I'm really weak. But it's when I'm weak that I'm really strong. Because then I know that I have to depend upon God. You see, in spite of delays and detours and derailments and discouragement and disappointments and despair and depression, holy dreams will come to pass if you keep on believing. Joseph kept on believing in spite of the delays, in spite of prison, the false accusations. God used him in a mighty way. You see, it was just the devil's way of trying to kill a high and a holy dream what's your dream for your life many people have started into the ministry I read somewhere just not very long ago that the average tenure of ministry now is 10 years it's getting shorter and shorter every year because of the pressures and the difficulties God enabled Us to stay 43 years without ever being without a job one day. And I praise God for that. And God helped us. But there were times when we felt like giving up. There were times when it didn't look like it was worth it. There were times when I would have rather done something else. And I'd get in those negative board meetings. And I'd hear those people make accusations. And there would be times I'd say, well, is it really worth it? is it really worth it? But I'll never regret of not staying hooked and keeping on dreaming in spite of all that his attacks were upon me. Do you think Satan would like to kill your dreams? Do you think you're an exempt, an exception? I don't think so. How would he go about it in your life? What do you think he would do? Probably not Sell so you'd be sold. You're probably not going to be sold into slavery. That's probably not going to happen. Thrown into prison, hope not for sure. But maybe you might become enslaved with your own selfish desires and ambitions and egos. That'll get you in trouble. Maybe you might get careless on the internet and get hooked on pornography. A lot of pastors have gone down that way or get careless with another person other than your spouse and many have gone down that way and their dreams go down the drain maybe maybe you will become imprisoned by fear and give up I, I don't know what it is that it would be I just know that you must be on guard because when you think you stand is when you can fall. You see, your dream may be going to cost you more than you're anticipating, like our church there in Hereford. We didn't anticipate that other $80,000, but we didn't let that stop us. We kept on dreaming. It could be that he might come at you by just simple indifference. They took him, they stripped him, they looked up, they saw a caravan coming, they sold him. But you see, God would not let this messianic dream stop. It was more than just Joseph. It was more than just saving his brothers and their country. It was more than that. It was ushering in, the beginning of the ushering in, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You have no idea what God was going to do with your dream. So don't give up, even when you feel like it. I heard a story about the Alp mountains and uh, in one of the mountains in the Alp there, there was a halfway point where the climbers would go and, and uh, they would climb and they would get halfway to the top and then there was a nice lodge and and, uh, you know, the whirlpool and the food and everything. And after a long day's climb, they would get there and they would get into the comfort of, of all of this. And, and then early the next morning, they would get ready to go and to go to the top of that, to take the second half of the journey. And, and some would become so accustomed to the comforts of that, they would decide not to go but the few that went on would go ahead and, and and take the challenge and the struggles and they would get to the top and there they could look over the vast valleys and all and have the fulfillment of accomplishing a task that had been before them that they had always dreamed of, of conquering that mountain. It was Helen Keller that said was asked one time what would be worse than being born blind and she quickly replied is to have sight and no vision. I found out that if you ask successful pastors and churches what really helped them to get where they are in life invariably they'll talk about a goal or a dream or a vision or a mission or purpose. Something that has motivated them through those difficult times that has helped them to become what they have finally become you see tragically our world is full of what we call the mundane pastors and the mundane churches they see only what is immediate they only reach out for things that they can tangibly put their hands on they go for the convenient they never look beyond themselves they never look at what could be you see A mundane church could be a Nazarene church, a Baptist church, a Methodist church, or any other kind of church. But the poorest church in the world is not the church that doesn't have a nickel. It's a church that doesn't have a dream. It's a pastor that can't dream. And if you don't have a dream and a goal and a purpose in life, you're never going to become all that you could be. You never will. You see, there's a distinguishable difference between growing churches... And status quo churches. Successful churches, growing churches are motivated by dreams beyond themselves. They have something that constantly keeps them going. It might look like that it's out of their reach, yet they believe with God's help, with God's help and hard work, someday they will hold the dream in their hands. Came across a little article that I thought was so good I think it was John Maxwell that carried this card in his billfold his whole time he was a pastor it was, don't even have an author there he said "But my dream allows me to give up at any moment all that I am to become all that I can be my dream allows me to sense the invisible so that I can do the impossible my dream allows me to trust God's resources and not mine. My dream is bigger than all my abilities and all my acquaintances. My dream allows me to attack to attract winners because big dreams draw big people and you better believe it. Little dreams bring little people. My dream allows me to see myself in the future. My dream is the promise of what we one day will become. Yes, I have a dream. It's a God-given one. It's greater than all my gifts. It's as large as the world, and it begins with just one. I do have a dream. I, I grew up on a farm, and this caught my eye one day. It all goes back to a story about a young man who was the son of an itinerant horse trainer. He would go from stable to stable, racetrack to racetrack, farm to farm, ranch to ranch, training horses. As a result, the boy's high school career was continually being interrupted. But when he was a senior, he was asked to write a paper about what he wanted to be and what he wanted to do when he grew up. So that night, he went home he wrote a seven-page paper describing his goal that someday he would own a horse ranch. He wrote about his dream in great detail. He even drew a diagram of a 200-acre ranch showing the location, all the buildings and the stables and the tracks. Then he drew a detailed floor plan for a 4,000 square foot house that would sit on a 200-acre dream ranch. He put a great deal of his heart into this project. The next day, he handed it to his teacher. Two days later, he received his paperback, and on the front page was a large red F with a note that read, see me after class. The boy with the dream went to see the teacher after class, and he asked, why, why did I receive an F? The teacher said, because this is an unrealistic dream for a young boy like you. Why, you have no money? You come from an itinerant family, you you have no resources, owning a horse ranch requires a lot of money. You have to buy the land, you have to pay for the original breeding stock, later on you'll have to pay the large stud fees. Why there's no way you could ever do it. And then the teacher added, however, if you will rewrite the paper with a more realistic goal, I will reconsider your grade. Well the boy Took the paper, went home, thought about it long and hard. Even asked his dad what he should do. His dad said, look son, you've, you've got to make up your own mind on this one. However, I think this is a very important decision for you. So finally, after sitting with it for a week, the boy turned in the same paper, making no changes all. And as he handed it to his, uh, to his teacher, he stated, you can keep the elf and I will keep my dream." Finally, after, finally, Monty Roberts turned to the assembly group and he said, I tell you this story because you're sitting in my 4,000 square foot house in the middle of my 200-acre horse horse ranch, and I still have the school paper framed over my fireplace. And then he added, but the best part of the story is this, that two summers ago, that same school teacher brought thirty kids to camp out on my ranch for a week when the teacher was leaving he said look Monty I can tell you this now when I was your teacher I was something of a dream stealer during those years I stole a lot of kids dreams fortunately and you had enough gumption not to give up on yours don't let anybody steal your dreams I don't know where you are tonight. In fact, it could be very well that some of you are here and you're discouraged. I don't know if you've had financial reverses. I don't know if the devil is working overtime on your marriage and your relationships. I don't know if Satan is always bringing up assorted past something that you did that you've regretted. I don't know what it is but I know that if he ever gets a toehold in your life he'll never give up. He'll keep on hammering at you. I don't know it could be that some of you are struggling even with pornography. What a plague that is today amongst pastors Students, you see in the secret places where nobody knows but you and God. I don't know what it is, but I know that probably somewhere, someplace you felt a call in your life and Satan is working overtime to hinder. I, I, I don't know, I just feel like there's probably some here. And you don't want that to happen in your life. I, and maybe something that I haven't even mentioned but you just know that that if you keep going down this path that somewhere, someplace, Satan will come and steal that dream. It could be inferiorities, it could be it could be a thousand other things that he uses, maybe bitterness or hatred or something that happened to you a long time ago when you pushed it out but it's, it keeps popping up. It could have been a sexual abuse. It could, have been, it could be anything. But I know that we have to lay those kind of things on the altar. And you said, but, but Pastor, I've done that, but, but they still comes back. It could be something is like you never had a dad or a mom that, that ever put their arm around you and you've never heard the words, I love you. or You were abused by someone and the family that's left scars. I don't know what it is, but I know when we bring our dreams and we recommit them to God and we ask God to help to fight against the enemy that's trying to destroy that dream. I know that God can reassure and renew that dream. Maybe it's starting to fade in the background and you're wondering if it's even worth it. I don't know what it is, but it's just us here and we're family.